This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. I have had a marathon weekend. Um, this is super nerdy, I know, but I'm, I'm into it. Um, this is uh, the weekend I have my fantasy football draft in my fantasy league. So I'm, I'm all in on that. I've been in the same fantasy league for 16 years. And um, we, we've been doing it. It's down in San Diego. So Thursday night, me and my oldest drove down, went surfing. Friday, played golf all day. Friday night, drafted, had an excellent draft until the Bills traded Shady McCoy, but whatever. Um, and then drove home Saturday and preached. So I, I don't even know what I said Saturday night. It was all heresy probably, but you guys get the real sermon. So anyways, nine o'clock at the practice, you guys get the real one. So consider yourselves lucky. Good morning to those listening online on our Facebook Live community and those that are listening to the podcast right now. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I love that, that's really been kind of a movement in this church for the last few years is uh, we have a lot of young people that play on our worship team and they are stellar. They work super hard. Um, years ago, uh, about three, four years ago, it was really a burden of Pastor Joseph's heart is that... Um, uh, we would reach the next generation of musicians and really start raising them up and putting them in place. Um, and, you know, by, by the way, pa- Pastor Joseph um, isn't here anymore. He took a job in Colorado and some of you are like, what, he's gone? Well, come to church and you'll find things out like that. It was like two months ago, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> if you're feeling guilty right now, I wasn't here all summer either, don't worry. So, um, but that was part of what, what was going on. And what we see now is really cool is you have like older musicians working with younger musicians. You have musicians um, in their 20s working with high schoolers, high schoolers working with junior hires now, just kind of bringing them along as Christian musicians. And my youngest, uh, all my kids play instruments and sing and they're, they're musical, but my youngest plays guitar. That's like his thing. He plays in the Saturday night worship band and he also plays in the junior high worship band. He's a seventh grader. So uh, Monday, he was at church practicing, and some of these young people are here three, four nights a week practicing music. They're just so dedicated. So he's here Monday practicing for his practice on, when, or his um, wor- worship session on Wednesday with the junior hires, and he also practices on, um, during the week for his Saturday night service that he's serving at. But Monday, he's practicing with the junior high band, and I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, Carson, you sound terrible. What's going on, you know? And I, I'm not, normally I'm like his dad. So I'm like, you're awesome, right? But it just didn't sound right. And I'm like, what's going on? It sounds like he's out of tune. So I walk up on stage while he's practicing. And I'm like, you're out of tune, dude. He goes, he goes I know it sounds horrible, but I'm in tune. I tuned to the digital tuner. It says I'm in tune. He goes, oh, it's this cheap guitar you bought me. It's like an American Fender Stratocaster spoiled brat. It's like a really nice guitar. And I'm like, what? And he shows me and he hits the E string and it shows it's in tune. All of them are in tune. But it does not sound in tune. It sounds horrible. And we're kind of like both perplexed. And then it dawned on me. See, when you tune an instrument, um, this is a t- I'm going to get technical with you for a moment. When you tune an instrument, you tune it to A, 440 hertz. That's um, what all instruments are typically tuned to. And for whatever reason, on the digital tuner, he had bumped it. So it was tuning to 450 hertz. So just that little fraction off made his whole guitar out of tune with the rest of the band. 
And I want you to think about that because that's a metaphor for our spirituality. It's what happens to us um, as we go throughout the year. And I know how it works in summer. We start like, uh, you know, we go on vacation, we're gone a lot, and we fall out of our rhythms of spirituality and our times with God and our times together as God's people and our times in our growth groups. And we fall out of those rhythms and it's good to rest, it's good to take breaks, but what happens is spiritually, we're just a little out of tune and we don't realize it. We appear to be in tune. We've got all the right look. We've got all the right gear. We know how to say all the right things, but it's just not sounding right. And if you don't recalibrate on a regular basis, You'll be out of tune, even though you have the appearance of looking like you're in tune. And everyone around you will know it. It makes for a noisy life, doesn't it? So today we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 27 through 31. And I would love it if you're able to, if you can stand in honor of God's word. We're going to get right to it. Now, if you are the body of Christ, and each one of you are part of it, And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is God's word. Have a seat. So I jump forward from chapter 10 to chapter 12 because I I feel like at this time of the year, it's a time when we're kind of resetting our rhythms. We're getting back in the swing of life. Summer vacations are over and things like that. And, and we're, we're back into the swing of things. And maybe not fully. Uh, teenagers, how many of you are excited to get up for school on Tuesday morning? Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> All the parents said hallelujah. Anyways, listen. So I, I, want, I want to talk about what it means to be the church and what that looks like and, and how that's a process in your life and, and, and what that is. So Uh, We're going to start, if you're taking notes and you want to write the outline down, um, number one is this. I tell you this every week. Who's church? Well, these people know it. Who's the church? In the back. The Baptists in the back. Who's the church? There you go. That's right. On Facebook Live, who's the church? We are. Okay, anyways. Or we are. Number one is this. Believers in Jesus are the church. That's how it works. It's not a building. It's not an institution. This is probably actually one of the first places in the New Testament where it's referring to the church as a whole, as the the capital C church, the universal church, all of us, okay? Normally in the New Testament, when Paul used the word ecclesia, which means church, he's referring to the local body, the church, like the church in Corinth or whatever. But here he's referring to all of us. So anyone who's a believer in the church, So um, look what it says in verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. So I want you to think about that. You are the body of Christ. So what that means is you have a nice body. So look at your neighbor and say, you got a nice body. Only if you know them. And it's appropriate. We don't need a Me Too movement going on here. 
Okay, so you are the body of Christ. And what, what I love how in the message, Eugene Peterson translates this verse. And he, um, he, he, he really pulls the meaning out of it. And he says, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must not forget this. And then he says this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. Think about that. Only as you accept your part in the body of Christ does it ever actually mean anything. And, and here, here's, here's what really Paul was trying to tell us is this. Is that when you become a believer in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit of God living in you. And God actually gives you something called spiritual gifts. And you have a part of Christ's body, a function in Christ's body, where you use both your natural talents, the things you were born with. All of you were born with talents. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all have some. Everyone's good at something, right? Some of you are good at math. Some of you are good at music. Some of you are organized. Some of you are uh, quick thinkers. Some of you are funny. Some of you are stoic. Some of you are serious. Some of you can knit. Whatever it is, you've been given talent. Those are great. And God wants you to use your talents for his glory. But you've also, when you become a believer in Jesus, God also gives you spiritual gifts, which are things that are different than talents. As a matter of fact, you couldn't do those things without the power of the Holy Spirit. So before you were a Christian, you didn't have them. When you got the Spirit of God, God developed them in you and you discovered them and you began to use those gifts and you got better and better at using those gifts. Okay, I'll give you, um, I'm gonna, I'll give you a, a great example. So when you were brought into the church, see the, the Bible says in Romans, Paul talks about it, that you're baptized into the body of Christ, that you believe with your heart you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you, you're saved. That's it. You're, you're going to heaven. It's that easy. Some of you are like, no, it can't be that easy. It's his book. Read it. Trust me. It's that easy. That's what it says. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Right? And then, but it always says the next thing you should do after you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord is go get baptized. Right? Because baptism is this, um, this, this thing that tells the world that you belong to Jesus. Um, and I always use this analogy, right? When it talks about being baptized, in Romans, being baptized into the body of Christ. Um, the analogy is always marriage, a wedding ceremony. When you look at the Old Testament, think about it for a minute. Um, if you go back a couple thousand years ago, 4,000 years ago, it says, Abraham took Sarah as his wife, right? And you guys can all picture how that went down in the ancient world, Right? Like, you know, they dated for years and he was afraid to commit. And eventually he finally worked up the courage. He went down to Zales. It was too expensive. So he went to Los Angeles to buy the diamond. He set up a place on a cliff with a blanket and rose petals and a romantic dinner. Got all his buddies to take pictures for Instagram and social media. And there, a hot air balloon came by and it says, Sarah, will you marry me? And there he was like that. And she went, oh my gosh, where's the cameras? Right? No, that's not how it happened. Oh, oh, yeah, and then after they got engaged for a whole year, they rented a barn somewhere with a bunch of mason jars and a wedding coordinator, and they, on and on and on. That didn't happen that way. Um, that's, that's a modern thing. There's nothing wrong with any of that. 
okay? It's, it's a modern industry we've created to make really cool parties. Um, it, Jesus in, in Capernaum, his first miracle was at a wedding like that, okay? It, he, he turned water into wine. And some of you, I need you to know, the wine had alcohol in it. It was, a, it was good wine. You need to know that, okay? I'm a Baptist. I can't believe I just said that. But they didn't dance at that wedding. No way. So, I've been waiting my whole life to use that joke in church. But God, so, so you're, when you choose to be baptized, when you choose to be baptized, it's like a wedding ceremony. You're saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm with his people. I'm being baptized in the church. It doesn't mean you're being baptized in the Clovis Hills. It means you're being baptized in the body of Christ, his body. So, God's given you gifts, spiritual gifts, and talents. And your job is to discover them. Um, and I, throughout my life, I didn't know, when I got saved, I didn't know what my spiritual gifts were. It took me serving and trying different things. And over time, I figured them out. People would tell me, they'd say, hey, I see this in you. Or I would realize, hey, I'm not bad at this. Or, and I would do other things. I was terrible at it. I, you know what I know? I don't have for a talent. I'm not good with my hands. I can't build things. Um, they're always crooked. They're not right. Um, I, I got on the, um, the landscaping team at my church when I was a teenager and I got fired from it. I don't know how you fire a volunteer, but I did. It might be because I mowed an anarchy sign in the church lawn, but whatever. Um, it looked cool. Um, and I tried different things and, and, and I was good at some and I was bad at others and, and along the way. And then I was faithful in positions where, you know, I, I, you know, I would serve in an area, even if it wasn't in my gifting for a season and I would just do it. And here's what I found. Over time, following Jesus over the years, I started to discover my spiritual gifts. I'll give you a great example. One, I had a job uh, when I was in college um, at a after school program, right? I, I, Basically, it was like a kid's care kind of thing. And 50, 60 kids would come after school, and there were two of us. And my boss, she would always call roll when the kids came in at three-something. And then she'd say, look at me, and she'd be like, I, I got to prepare the snack and the, art, the arts and craft. Okay, so you stand up there and tell them a story. Keep them busy for a half hour. So I would stand in front of, you know, 50, 60 kindergarten to fifth graders and keep their attention by telling them stories. What do you think I'm doing to you people? Seriously, that whole time, I thought I was in a dead-end job. I thought I was wasting my time, but I knew, okay, I just need to be faithful and do the job until God gives me an opportunity to do something significant with my life. Um, but I was always like, Lord, why, why am I doing this stupid job? Why can't I do anything with my life? When are you going to do something for me? Needless to say, I was getting like C's and D's in college and wasn't really looking for anything. But anyways... Lord, what are you going to do? But what I didn't realize was I, I knew that if you, if you um, whatever you do, whether in word or do, do all for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I did that job for Jesus and I hated it and I didn't like it. I didn't realize the whole time that God was developing a gift in me in that meaningless job. Do you think about that? See, sometimes to discover your gift, you have to just serve faithfully and God is bringing it out of you. I went on a missions trip once. Um, it was fun. It was cool. We went to Eastern Europe. A lot of fun. It was there the whole summer. Before I went, though, they made me memorize this little Bible pamphlet called The Four Spiritual Laws. 
the four spiritual laws, um, I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. It's just four things, four laws, all right? You know, so I memorized the four laws. I didn't read the whole instructions when they mailed it to me that I was supposed to memorize the whole pamphlet verbatim. All the Bible verses in it, all the verbiage in it, and the four spiritual laws. And when I got there, they said, hey, if you don't have it verbatim, like we said in the letter we sent you, you don't eat until you have it right. And I was like, oh, no. So I didn't eat for two days. And I memorized it verbatim, and I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. How legalistic. These people are idiots. Why are they doing this? This is, you know, heaven forbid if I was, you know, a millennial, I would have probably got triggered and, and called a lawyer playing with you guys. Come on. Come on. I'm kidding. But here, here's the thing. So millennials aren't snow, snowflakes. Americans are snowflakes now. So here's the deal. I, I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. I thought it was legalistic. I thought it was foolish. So four years later, I'm playing in this Christian punk rock band. We're at a skateboarding demo. There's a couple thousand kids out there. And before we go on stage, the, the promoter of the show grabs us and goes, oh my gosh, the guy that's supposed to speak and give the gospel, he's throwing up, he can't go on stage, can one of you do it? And all the guys in the band just go, Beatty will do it, he teaches seventh grade Sunday school at his church. I had no idea what I was doing. I got up, but I had memorized the four spiritual laws, and I just began to give that kind of four spiritual laws with paraphrased versions of the verses, because I couldn't remember them after four years, but I knew enough of them. And I started talking about how, did you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? That's law one. And I talked about how God loved them. And then law two is that man has sinned and separated himself from God. So I talked about how all of us are sinners. And our sin, we've, we've disobeyed God and it separated us from him. That means we can't be with God. We can't go to heaven. And nothing we can do will get us to heaven. You know, and I use this illustration because there were all these skaters there. It was like a pro skating event. And there's a gap. And they were ollieing the gap. And I said, imagine the gap so big, none of these guys can clear it. And none of you can clear it. And you try your hardest to do it. You're over here. God's over here. And you think, well, I'll just be a really good person. And that'll clear the gap. But being a good person, you'll never be good enough. Um, I'll go to church. And that doesn't clear the gap. Uh, well, my parents were really religious. My family's very religious. That doesn't clear the gap. Oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll rescue kittens from trees and help little old ladies across the street. That's not going to do it. I'll buy Tom's shoes and really feel really good about myself because I helped someone, someone get water in the third world. That doesn't get you to heaven. All of those added up never clear the gap. And God knew that. He was crazy about you. He loves you so much. That's why he sent Jesus. Because he knew the only person that could clear the gap was him. So Jesus laid in the gap so that you could walk across and be with God. But you can only do it if you choose to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I just gave that simple message. And there's all these kids out there. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do an altar call or any of that. You know, I didn't know they're supposed to magically start playing piano behind me. And like play, come just as you are. You know, and that whole thing. I had no idea. I just said, so how many of you, if you were to stand before God right now, you don't know if you go to heaven or hell. And you want to go to heaven. And a bunch of hands went up. And I said, well, you want to receive Jesus? And they all kind of nodded. And I said, well, get up here. And all these kids came forward and the, you know, the promoter of the show was a youth pastor. He's like, oh my gosh, we don't have enough Bibles. I was sharing that the next day 
And someone said, I think you have the gift of evangelism. I said, what's that? He said, it's a spiritual gift. You should use that more. So I've been using it ever since. See, these are things you learn as you step out in faith. And sometimes it takes little steps of faith and then little ones and then big ones. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, you know, well, pastor, I, I, I can't preach. Well, there's all kinds of jobs. Look what it says in Romans um, 12, 6 through 8. It says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. So if you have a little faith, then you do it with the little bit of faith you have, is what he's saying. Okay? And then it says, if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And basically what he's saying is, he's, you know, Nike stole this from the Apostle Paul. He's saying, just do it. Stop talking about it, about, well, when I get older, when I retire, when I do this, I'll do it. No, he's saying, do it now with the measure of faith that God has given you. If you're like, I don't have a lot of faith, well, do it with the little bit you have. Just do it a little bit then. And watch how God grows it. Because every time you take another little step of faith, he grows your faith exponentially. So if you serve, you serve. You teach, you teach. You give, give generously. Lead, lead diligently. If you show mercy, do it with the sills. Where we, we, that, that's really all he's saying is just do it. We have a process at Clovis Hills where we, we try and help people discover their spiritual gifts. It's our 301 class. If you pull this card out in, in your bulletin, you'll, you'll see in your bulletin, um, our 101 Connect, it's, it's just a series of classes, 101, 201, 301, 401. Our 101 Connect starts this Wednesday night here, here at the church. I would love to have you at it. You can register online, or if you're the typical Californian, you'll just show up on Wednesday night. But anyways, it's a four-week class. You can kind of start this process, discovering who you are in Christ. So I encourage you to do that. But that leads me to, to point number two in, in this, this sermon, is... You were created to be connected to the body of Christ. You just were. You were created to be connected to the body of Christ. Look what Paul says in verse 21 and 22. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. See, people always say like, oh, well, I can't sing, I can't preach, so therefore I just come and cheer you on. Okay, that actually is a gift that's called encouragement, but there's more to you than that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you in on something very important. There are some of you in this room that are here right now. Is everyone with me? I need you with me on this one. This is an important one, okay? Are you with me? We are with you. Okay, listen, listen. There's some of you that are in this room right now that people in your life, whether they were parents or grandparents or brothers or sisters or important people in your life, have told you that you are worthless, that you are not good at anything, that you are good for nothing. And I'm not saying those were bad people, but the things they were saying are lies from the pit of hell. God made you for a purpose. He put gifts in you. And what they were saying is the very things that he put in you were garbage. So what they are saying are lies. They may not have been lying. They may not have known they were lying. But they were reciting the devil's lies since the very beginning of time. 
Because God has put something in you and God is greater than anything in this world and he's put it in you and he's put a purpose in you. Every day of your life, there is a purpose for you. You have to lean into God and he will reveal those to you over time. Sometimes they're little things, sometimes they're big things. Sometimes they're many little things that culminate in a life that becomes a big thing. But God has put it in you. And you can say, oh, I don't have any gifts. If I'm in the body of Christ, I'm like an eye booger or something. No, you're not. Everything has a, has a, has a function. I love this. Um, Ron Bryce is a, a, um, a trauma doctor in the emergency room in uh, Dallas, Texas. He wrote a book called um, The Fingerprint of God. I want to read you just a little bit of this because I think it's so cool. He says, one day as I assisted a surgeon... He had me reach into the patient's chest and turn his heart so that he could work on it from a better angle. That's some Indiana Jones crap right there, Temple of Doom. As I gingerly swiveled it, he asked, how does it feel to hold a man's beating heart in your hand? And that's twisted too. You doctors, let me tell you. In spite of our manipulations, the man's heart kept thumping as billions of tiny heart cells communicated and coordinated their activities. The cells in your heart rhythmically contract in unity, acting together to produce a heartbeat. If these living cells are separated from the heart in a test tube, they will instinctively continue beating, but not in coordination with each other. If the cells are brought back in contact with one another, the instant they touch, contractions be, begin, again become synchronized. That's God. Think about that. You can take a heart cell out, put it in a test tube. It'll keep contracting, but not in con conjunction with your heart. Put the cell right back on top of your heart. Boom. Locks back in. That's God, guys. And then it says this. That's the nature of heart cells. Individual heart cells cannot accomplish um, cannot accomplish their God-given function alone. They're designed to be one of many cells in the heart. While they serve a unique function in the body, they are not useful if they don't coordinate their efforts. If the members of an entire body don't communicate, life is impossible. A single heart cell working alone cannot pump blood to the body, no matter how hard it tries. It needs the other cells to fulfill its purpose. This is a consistent pattern found in all living bodies. The only way a body can survive is through its many members working together. All living bodies have communication among the members. See, by yourself, and the Apostle Paul used the illustration if I cut off a part of my body and I set it aside and I cut my finger off and I lay it there and we come back next week, I'm not a starfish. Another Sean does not pop up. The finger dies. It becomes a chew toy for a dog. Even the dog will be like, ooh, that's stanky. I ain't eating that finger. It just dies when it's not attached to the body. But so many of us, and the illustration I always use for this, um, and I'll use it my whole life as a, as, a, as a pastor when I teach the Bible, is this is most of us as 21st century Christians, we see ourselves and we see the church like a sack of marbles. Think about a sack of marbles. 
They're all hard, round, autonomous units that just are, they happen to gather in the sack together. They have no connection to one another whatsoever, except they're all in the same sack. And then the pastor says, be the church. And he lets them out of the sack and they roll out into the world. And you know what happens when you let go of a sack of marbles? All it does is cause people to stumble. See, the truth of the matter is, with the, the way the Bible describes us is more like a bunch of grapes. See, grapes are organically connected together and they're organically connected to the vine. If you pull them apart from the, from the bunch, they shrivel and die. If you pull them off the vine, they become raisins. And I'm never eating raisins in my trail mix. Unless you're a raisin farmer and you're a tither, I love raisins. They're excellent. <laughs> Kidding. But the point I'm trying to teach is that we're supposed to be connected together. This is why we do growth groups. This is why we encourage people to get in growth groups in different seasons of their life. Is it, Pastor Scott says it all the time that you have to have relationships and responsibilities to one another. That's how you get the most out of being part of a church and being a member of a church is having those relationships and responsibilities and you get in a growth group. And I'm gonna be honest, sometimes you get in a growth group and you click, like the relationships happen very quickly. Other times you get in a growth group and everyone in your group is weird. And what you do is you go tell Pastor Liz, like, yeah, this isn't the right fit. And then she'll help you find one where you, you click right. That, that, that's, how, that's how it works. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the smallest, the, actually the three smallest bones in your body, they're all in the ear. They're tiny. Because some of you would think like, well, I have, maybe I have a gift, but it does, it's, it's, it's worthless. It's so tiny. It's not, I can't give that, like, what's God going to do with what I have? Uh, you know, has he, have you guys seen my life? It's a mess, whatever. But here's what I want you to know. So, do you know the smallest bones in your body? They're in your ear. I think I have, do we have a picture of them? Put, the, put those up. Look how small those suckers are. That's three bones right there. That's the malus, the incus, and the stapes. Okay? And I might not be pronouncing it but right, but the 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 layman's term is the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. And those three bones, they're all three separate bones, they work together. And I don't know if you know this, without those bones, or if one of those bones are broken, you will only hear 0.01% of the noise that's going on in the room. You will not hear without that bone working. And as a matter of fact, I actually had a, um, a guy come up to service after the nine o'clock service. He said, Pastor, you're so right. I had hearing aids my whole life and my hearing was going and it was going more and more and I was having to get more and more powerful ones. And finally I went to a specialist because he's a man because heaven forbid we actually go to a doctor. Um, he goes, I went to a specialist and he said, oh yeah, you're missing that one of those little bones and they made an artificial one and stuck it in my ear and I can hear perfectly now. It's amazing. See, there's no insignificant parts of the body of Christ, no matter what you have. Think about an aircraft carrier. To get Tom Cruise in the air, it takes 5,000 people to run an aircraft carrier. Some of you are too young to get that, but that's okay. You will because they're re-releasing Top Gun. But listen, The guy cooking soup in the aircraft carrier is just as responsible as Maverick flying the jet. They all work together to get those jets in the air. And every one of them has a function. It says in the Bible, I don't know if you know this, it says, so the son of man be lifted up that the world will be drawn to him. How many people does it take to lift up the son of man? It takes the whole church, not just me. 
It doesn't work without all of us lifting him up. See, so there's no insignificant parts, parts of the body. Um, I have a, a friend. He's a, he's a senior citizen. Um, he's more of a mentor to me, but whatever. But at, um, he was a farmer his whole life. Grew up son of a farmer, uh, probably grandson of a farmer. Um, at 55, decided I'm done farming. I'm, I'm done. I can't do this any longer. He read a book called Halftime. You know, what am I going to do with the second half of my life? Which, by the way, we always say like 55, it's like you're at the second half of your life. I don't know many people that live to be 110. Just here to encourage you. But anyways, listen. At 55, he reads this book called Halftime. And he just begins to pray, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with the second half of my life? And um, he, after some prayer and some thought and talking with people, he, he, he senses that God's telling him he's supposed to disciple. I'm going to disciple 100 men. I'm going to take them through this simple little book called Operation Timothy. And whether it takes them three months or three years, there's going to be no guilt, just at their own pace. I'm going to walk 100 men through this little book, and I'll do it one by one, one at a time. And he began to do that. And um, I believe he's 80 now. I don't, I'm not, not fully sure. Um, but I, if, and my number may not be fully correct, but the last time I checked at 80 years old, he has taken 126 men through Operation Timothy, one-on-one. Just think about that. As a matter of fact, there's some men in this room, I guarantee they know who I'm talking about. How many of you men know who I'm talking about? Put your hand high. Put your hand high right now. Yeah. Because all of these men probably went through it with him or someone that he took through it. And he's made this incredible impact in his life. And most of you will never know who he is. He's like that little ear bone. Because he was just faithful with the little thing, one by one, with what he had. And it took his whole life to get, it took him to 55 to get to that place. But I'll tell you what, I know his life story. I read his book. He wrote a book about his life. You know, he served faithfully in just about every position you could think of in the church, whether it was helping do something menial, teaching kids, teaching college kids, whatever it was, he did, he, he did it all. And then God, it compounded. Your consistency will compound when you serve. And God will make, at the end of your life, you will look back and go, dang, look what you did, Lord. But you won't, it won't happen unless you do something about it. So, number three is this, how to be the church. Henry Nowen, who's one of my favorite authors, wrote a book called Adam. And Henry Nowen's story is amazing. He was, um, a, he was a Catholic priest, but he was also a professor at Notre Dame of psychology. He became the chair of psychology at Notre Dame. He ended up leaving Notre Dame. He taught at Yale. He ended up becoming the chair of psychology at Harvard. He taught at Harvard, which is kind of like a fly-by-night community college, I hear. I, I, I don't know a lot about it. But anyways, he, he taught there, and he, to this day, still has the highest enrolled classes in the history of Harvard University. Everyone wanted to take his class. Alumni were all coming back and auditing his class. He had senators and congressmen and generals in the military auditing this, his psychology classes. I mean, these incredibly powerful, important people couldn't get a seat in the class. Students were like, back of the room, old man. They were sitting in, in the windowsills at his classes sometimes. And he was teaching psychology, but he wasn't teaching psychology. What he understood was that your brain is very linked to your soul. And he was helping people understand that you are a soul. 
And there is more to you than what's on the outside of you. And in this class, they were taking communion. It was very powerful. But he wrote this book. He wrote lots of them. But he wrote one called Adam. The other reason I like Henry Nouwen, if you're not a reader, all his books are like 50 pages. They're awesome. So you can be like, I read a book. But anyways, he writes in this book, Adam. He tells a story about, um, oh, I forgot to tell you. He quit at Harvard. Because he was speaking all over the world, writing books, speaking at the president's prayer breakfast, you know, in front of very powerful people all over the world about spirituality. And he was so busy speaking and writing about spirituality, he had no time to be spiritual. And he said he became very hollow inside. So he quit his job. He moved to a farm called Laarche. And on this farm, it was a communal farm where they cared for severely disabled men with mental disabilities. And... um. He lived there the rest of his life and he wrote books there while he cared for men with severe mental disabilities. And while he was there, he wrote the book Adam and he tells a story about a woman named Kathy who was a very wealthy, powerful socialite. Very successful in her career and um, she suffered severe depression, clinical depression. She could not get out of it even though she was very successful. She was very wealthy. She was very well known in her field. She was very admired in her life. She had this severe depression she couldn't kick. Her therapist had studied at Harvard under Nowen and said maybe you should go out to Laarche to the farm where um, Henry Nowen is and spend some time there and see, see if that helps because this psychologist knew this knew that when you suffer depression, one of the best things you can do for yourself that's not, that's not a drug is actually find people that are worse off than you and serve them because you stop thinking about you and your problems or what you're afraid of or whatever you're anxious about because you're busy serving someone in deep need. The other thing that, that this psychologist realized is that another thing that helps depression, when we're depressed, we wanna isolate and get away because we don't wanna bring people down. But the best thing you can do is push into community. So they're living, she's stuck on a farm with all these people. So while she was there, one of the residents, this guy with a mental disability, um, asked Kathy this. Kathy, do you believe you're a good person simply because you're Kathy? See what the the world might have looked at that guy and said, oh, you know, he doesn't have it all together and looked at her and said, that's what we want to be. But he saw something. He saw the fake exterior we live in. And he saw beneath it and saw Kathy. And he was asking Kathy to take off all the adornments we put on ourselves, the fakeness we put on ourselves that we don't even know we do a lot of times. And look deep down inside and say, do I really love the person inside? Do I really love Sean? Or do I love the Sean I put on Instagram? The Sean I put on stage at church? The Sean, when you ask me how, I, how I'm doing, I go, fine. See, if people really knew us for who we are, without all the worldly decorations we put on ourselves, look at this food I'm eating. Look at this place I'm visiting. Look at this, you know, look at my kids, look at my grandkids, look at, you know, on and on and on. Would they be okay with just you? See, here's what I know. Most of us believe no, deep down inside. But God believes yes in you. He made you for a purpose, for something that today 
on September 1st, 2019. The God of the universe, the God of all eternity, on this little day in time, has called you by name and called you into a relationship with him. He knew that your sin had separated you from him, but he, he sent Jesus to, to die for you. And you're thinking, well, I want to follow Jesus, but, but and, and I hear this all the time, oh, if I become a Christian, am I going to have to stop doing this? Am I going to have to give up this? Am I going to have to give up this? And, and, and really what you're doing is you're holding on to all the worldly adornments and decorations that you have in your life, and they might be dear to you. And some of you are thinking, this is how I cope with life, is these things, this this addiction or this attachment or this thing or this is my identity, my job, and, and you're holding on to all of these things. And they may even be good things that you're holding on to. But here's what I want you to know. God loves you so much and he's holding the greatest thing for you, the, 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 the eternal life. And you're over here grasping hold of these thinking they're so precious when there's something of such a greater worth right there that, that you're afraid to set some of these down so you could pick up what God has for you. Anyone ever dropped their $1,000 iPhone because they were afraid they were gonna spill their coffee? We have some guilty parties in the room, don't we? Oh no, my 40 cent cup of coffee is gonna fall and make a mess. But I'll drop the freaking little tiny television that's a computer that sits in my pocket to the ground. See, some of you, you're holding on to things that are good and your arms are full. You can't take the greatest thing that God's given you. I want you to think about it. If you really are made for eternity, a thousand years from now, is someone going to go, hey, remember what college your kids went to? No. What's college? Hey, remember what car you had? No. Hey, remember that neighborhood you finally moved into with the gated community and, you know, and, and it was in the nice part of town? No, I live in a mansion. Hey, do you remember all those friends you have? No. Do you remember how everyone used to think you were so good at your job? You were the best stockbroker ever. What's a stockbroker? You won't think of any of those things in a thousand years. You won't think of any of those things in 5,000 years. You won't think of any of those. But we're so busy holding on to those and letting people say, this is who I am. This is what I identify with. That you forgot the very thing you were made for by God is right here. And Jesus said this, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That you could receive Jesus. And yes, you probably do got to lay down your identity. You don't have to have a ton of faith. You just need to have a little with the faith that is given to you and you point your heart to him and you receive Jesus. Why would you put that off? Today's your day. We have a, a, a tradition at Clovis Hills that when someone makes that decision and they have the courage to take hold of Jesus, you know, it says in the Bible that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in a minute, I'm gonna invite you to pray and receive Jesus and believe in your heart with him. And we, we have just our own way, it's kind of a cool little tradition of you being able to like confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It, it, and um, we give you a bulb and a Bible. And after you pray to receive Jesus, usually the church stands and we sing. And we invite you while everyone's singing, to come down and get a bulb. And it's your way of saying in front of everyone, and I know it can be scary. It's your, it's your way of saying in front of everyone, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus now. 
And the coolest part is, like when you do it, especially the 1040, you guys are the rowdy service, by the way. Listen, because you guys get it. That when someone receives Jesus, that's the greatest decision they've ever made in their life. They've stepped from darkness to light. And this church will cheer you on like you just won the Super Bowl. And the other reason they do is because they know that you are now the church. You've received Jesus. You no longer go to church. You are the church. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna pray in a minute. And if you've never done that before or you're not sure, you can be sure. You just invite him in and take that step of faith. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.